Good morning, Living Waters. Let's stay standing for the reading and hearing of God's Word. We'll be in Acts 3, 12 through 20 this morning. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? As though by our own power and piety we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word and how you use it in our lives. I pray that you would make your message clear this morning to us and that you would work in hearts and lives and that people would just walk away with a massive view of you and what you do, God. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. I'm uh, Pastor Rob. I have to introduce myself a little bit. I'm the part-time pastor here at Living Waters of Youth and Connections. Full-time, I'm a cop. I have to say that because uh, I shared a story, I think it was on New Year's, and I started sharing stories, and people were like, uh, what? Is this guy like a burglar or something? Like what? You know, so um, I have to share that with you. This morning... This morning's title to the message is The Interrogation Room, the, interrogate, the Interrogated and the Redacted. The Interrogated and the Redacted. So I've got a picture of an interrogation room, and I, I didn't take a picture of my department's interrogation room, of course, but they're all pretty similar. You have, you have a chair that doesn't move around a lot that somebody sits in, the suspect sits in, and then you have you know, some lighting and a table and then in that room, what happens is, is at, at a point in time, the evidence has piled up and accusations start to come. And as a, as a detective, you, you deliver those, those accusations, sometimes as an officer as well. So that's an interrogation room. And then a re, the redacted, so when you think of a redacted report, you've probably seen this in the media, uh, maybe you've even asked for a, a public information request on a report before. And in the last service, I had a, a friend that I used to work with, and she, her job, part of her job, was to redact reports before they went out to the public. And so sometimes your report that you get looks something like this. Like you ask for a report, and you're like, yeah, that tells me nothing that I wanted to know, right? And they can look like that. So this morning's title is The Interrogated 
and the redacted. And so I also get to introduce a sermon series this morning. We're starting out with a thriving church, but to kind of bring you up to speed, Pastor Josh had just left off in, uh, in Acts, and then we went into the Easter message, and then now we're into the thriving church. So to bring us up to speed, we just came off of Easter, which what happened? Jesus is resurrected from the dead, right? Defeating sin and death. And that, oh, that is so awesome to be able to worship God together and praise him for what he had done. So after that, he stays with the apostles for 40 days. And they were supposed to wait in Jerusalem until they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. They would have the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses. And then Jesus goes away into the clouds. And as he's going away and the apostles are watching this, two men in white robes see the apostles and they say, what are you, what are you looking at? Um, he's coming back. He's coming back. And I mean, isn't, wouldn't that, isn't that so encouraging that Jesus is coming back? And he's taken up into the clouds and they say, he will come again in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And they come back into Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet and all the apostles and the women and Jesus' mother and brothers in the upper room devoted themselves together in prayer. And then Peter tells 120 people who were witnesses about Judas and how he had, he had fallen and he, had, he, he hangs himself and he falls out of this tree and his, his guts spill out into the field and they call it a field of blood. And if you remember, Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus. And so the apostles start to look for who's going to be the replacement Who's going to be Judas's replacement? And uh, so they cast lots and they choose Matthias. And wouldn't you like to be that guy, right? Like, like that, the other guy messed it up so bad, the only place for you to go is up, right? Like you can only do better. And the day of Pentecost comes where a sound comes from heaven and the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and they start to speak in tongues in ways that everyone that had gathered in Jerusalem for the crucifixion are still there from different nations and different languages, and they can hear in their own language what is being said. Wouldn't that be incredible? If I could speak this morning in every language, you would be able to hear it in your own native tongue. And they were like, how is this guy from Galilee speaking in my language? Devout men from every nation had heard that. And Peter reminds everyone of Jesus and his mighty works and wonders that God did through him that his being delivered up was all part of the plan. Peter says that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held down by it. It was not possible for Jesus to be held down by death. Praise God. And Peter reminds everyone that's, that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, and that's where he's at today. That Jesus, that they crucified, and the people are hearing the words, and they're cut to the heart, and they want to know what to do. And Peter, in Acts 2.38, says, repent and be baptized. And about 3,000 men go and get baptized. Now, that, that's, the count was on the men, so it it probably would have been a lot more than that. And they repent of their sins and they're baptized. And you think about like 
Pastor Josh and everybody that's doing the baptizing, like imagine 3,000 or more people in a day that you're baptizing. You're like, man, that'd be a workout. Like you CrossFitters, I think, would even have a, have a problem there, right? That would, that would be something, but it would be amazing to see. And they devoted, these people, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers. And if you remember, Pastor Josh had talked about how they were meeting in each other's homes, and it was just a normal thing to get together on a daily basis, to get with each other, to share your homes, to share your lives with each other. And that was what was going on. And they had all things in common. Every day they were getting together, every day, praising God, and then they were having favor with all the people around them. And people were getting saved every single day. Yeah, amen is right. So that brings us to the thriving church, and what does a thriving church look like? Living Waters, we want to know, what does a thriving church look like? We have a purpose statement, if you didn't know, here at Living Waters. And it's that our purpose is to spread a passion for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To spread a passion for the glory of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say that Jesus gets first place. The gospel gets celebrated. So when somebody comes to Christ and we see baptisms and we see lives changed, we get excited about that and we celebrate that and we we just saw that, and you, you're going up to these people, and you're just so pumped, right? You're giving them hugs. It's awesome to see God's work in people's lives. We want to see a biblical family atmosphere and have a humble confidence. And we know that our lives and our possessions are for sharing, sharing with each other. And here at Living Waters, we want to see a thriving church, don't we? But what does that look like? So this morning, we get to peer into what that looks like. We all deserve the interrogation. We all deserve the interrogation and the judgment that follows. But there's good news. There's an opportunity to have your sins redacted. Has your sin been redacted? So You saw that report and everything is black line, and I'll get to that in a little bit. Have your sins been redacted? So we get to the tee-up, that's number one, the tee-up, and we look at verse 12 of chapter 3. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. When, people. when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. What is it that he saw? Well, this is what just happened. So Peter and John had been walking along, and they see a paralytic guy who's been who's been lame since he was a baby. And, and he's sitting there on the ground, and he's got his arm up, and he's asking for money. He's asking for alms, right? And he's like, can, you, can, can I have some money? He's got nothing else he can do. He's not physically capable of doing anything else and never has. So his option is to sit at the gate and ask for money so that he can continue to live. And Peter, Peter comes along and he says, I don't, I don't have money for you, but... Got something better. And by faith, Peter says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he grabs him by the right hand, he picks him up, and the guy goes walking and leaping and praising God. Yes, you might remember, some of you might have had that song as a kid where like, he went walking and leaping and praising God. You remember that? 
Maybe not. Maybe it was just me. <laughs> but you had that song. You know, I think, of, I think of Forrest Gump, too, from that day forward. If I was going somewhere, I was running. You, this guy's got to be excited, right? He's got to be pumped. He's running around. He's telling everybody in, in, the, in the place what's going on. And they're looking with amazement at what has just happened. And they're running together. They've moved from the gate. And now they're in this place called the portico. And they're in this portico. And Peter and John are there. And the lame guy who's just now been running around, he's got Peter and John. He's holding on to these guys. And he loves these guys. Wow. Loves these guys. And all the people are staring at Peter and John with just wow and amazement and wonder. And so Peter, seeing this, he wants to put that to a stop right now. And, and he says, look, I'm not the guy. I'm not the miracle worker. And so he starts and he says to the men of Israel, he sees what happened and he says, I'm not a miracle worker. And if you think in your life, have you ever been so impacted by a person that God has just used a person? Maybe it's been one of Pastor Josh's messages and, and you've been moved and God has used that. Or maybe someone who's been in your life and they've led you to Jesus and you're like, wow, that person is amazing, right? And we should thank God for those people, right? But it's not them that did the work. It's God who has gifted them to do the work. You might look at them with wonder. But if you've ever come up to Pastor Josh uh, after a sermon uh, and said, hey, good job. I love, I love that message. That was really good. What's Pastor Josh's response? Is it like, a, you know, today's football players and basketball players were like, yep. Yeah, it was. It was good, right? Keep it coming. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me more about that. Is that his response? Is it like today's, uh, like when you play Fortnite and you win and you're like, woo, and you have this dance that you do after you win? Is that what, it, that what he does? No, that's absolutely not what he does. If you've ever come up to Josh after a sermon and you're moved, you say, good message or great job, and his answer is, praise God. Praise God. And that's the answer of anybody that is humbly seeing that it's God's work in people's lives, not them. God is good. And anything other than giving glory to God is arrogance. So if you ever start to think that your spiritual welfare revolves around a certain person, can I challenge your thinking? Peter, Pastor Josh, any of the pastors here at Living Waters Fellowship would be embarrassed to think that your heart change or the work that God is doing in your heart is as a result of something they did or said. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. God uses people to accomplish his will. But people in your life will come and go. God remains the same God. He put those people in your life because he loves you. You need to be able to look past the person and see Jesus. So the people of Israel have run into the portico and they're looking with wonder. But what they didn't realize is they just ran into the interrogation room. They just ran into the box. And I don't, 
I, I never had somebody like run into my interrogation room when I was a detective. Like that never happened. But here he's got multiple people and they've just run into his interrogation room. And let me tell you about the interrogation room. Uh, what happens in there is people, people tend to do a few different things. One, they'll lie. Uh, two, they'll lawyer up. Or three, they'll confess. Sometimes they do all three. You ask a lot of questions in the interrogation room. It starts out as an interview, but there comes a point during the interrogation that you have built your case. You've, you've built your case against that person. You have a thick file, and you've, you come up, and you, you put it down on the counter in front of them, and you say, I've got you, and here's why. And you start to lay out the evidence in front of that person. And so we, that brings us to the interrogation, which is verses 13 through 18, if you look at that. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. His servant Jesus. So the first piece of evidence is his servant. What, what does that mean? Well, that's a reference back to Isaiah. Isaiah 42 once says, Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. That's Jesus that's being talked about in Isaiah. And that's in the Old Testament looking forward to the New Testament, right? And he's putting this out in front of him. Evidence number one, right? And he says, you delivered him over. You denied him, and you did this when Pilate had decided to let him go. And you still did it. You chose a murderer, Barabbas, to walk free over the holy and righteous one. Jesus was perfect. He never did anything wrong. And you chose to let a murderer go instead of him? You killed the author of life. The author of life. Who got raised from the dead and you can't deny that, Peter says. You cannot deny that. Bob, you were there. Lucy, it was your rooster that was crowing at me. You can see Peter talking to these people, and he's like, I saw you. I saw you all there. Another evidence. We were there together. This man here is the, the other piece of evidence. So he's got this guy who is lame and is now up running around. He says, this guy is evidence of God's work, of Jesus' work, because it was by faith in Jesus that this man is up with perfect health right now, running around. Another piece of evidence. So then Peter starts to let up on him a little bit. He says, you and the rulers were ignorant at the time. You were ignorant at the time. You missed a major piece of the puzzle. You missed it. You were ignorant. The people of Israel, they knew their Old Testament Bibles. They knew their history. So when Peter told them about what God had foretold by the mouth of the prophets in Isaiah, they were connecting all the dots. They knew the evidence that is being presented was legit. They knew that it stuck. They knew that he was right. But Jesus also echoes kind of the same thing where it says, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. 
Jesus understood that. Jesus knew that. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. So they had run into the box. They ran into the interrogation room. And he's basically saying, look, you were ignorant before, and now I've laid it out for you. And the evidence here is thick. But you're not ignorant now. You know. Now you know. And now that you know, what are you going to do about it? Now that you know, what are you going to do about it? So do we, before we jump into what you're going to do about it, think about how the church can apply the interrogation to our lives, to our church, as a thriving church. Do we look at the people of Israel and say, wow, they're horrible people. I would never have done that. I would have been the hero. I would have been the hero, right? I would have been the guy that would have ran up there. I would have grabbed like a Roman soldier's sword and I would have like cut an Achilles and I would have like taken Jesus off of, and I would have got him out of there. Or maybe you're not that guy. Maybe you're like, I could have convinced the crowd differently. I could have convinced the crowd not to do what they were doing and, and choose Barabbas instead of Jesus because I'm really good with my mouth. But remember, the person doing the interrogation is Peter. And Peter was one of the apostles, and Peter denied Jesus three times. So the thriving church peers into the interrogation and is humbled. They say, wow, they are horrible. They killed Jesus, but so did I. It was my sin, it was our sin that held him on the cross. The thriving church recognizes that it's been God's plan all along. In John 10, 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus came to lay down his life for you and for me. It was all part of the plan from the beginning. Looking back to Isaiah, you can see that. It was all part of the plan. You weren't going to change that. So that brings us to the redacting. In verses 19 and 20, it says, Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Repent therefore and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. What does it mean to repent? So with the interrogation, you get to that point and you put the evidence in front of somebody and you, you, you finally get, you want to get to the point where you say, they say, yeah, I did it. I did it. It was me. I'm guilty of what you're telling me I'm guilty of. See, part of repentance is we have to agree with God that our sin is what put Jesus on the cross. Our sin is what caused that. And so we agree with God, and then we're, we're here, and we're looking at Jesus, and we turn away from our sin, and we turn to Jesus. We turn to Jesus in faith, knowing that he paid the penalty for us on the cross. So what he's saying is change your mind, change your heart, and turn your feet to Jesus. So he did a 180. You do a 180. That's what he's saying. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess 
with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. That's repentance. That your sins may be blotted out is the next part. So once you repent and you put your faith in Jesus, the same Jesus who made this lame man walk, once you do that, your sins can be blotted out or redacted. So when I was trying to think of an example in my life of something being redacted, I thought of when I was in high school. I was a junior in high school, and um, I'll give you the short version. I, I got into a fight and, in school, and um, after the fight, get sent, we get sent to the office, but I had to go to the bathroom to stop the blood, and the principal uh, comes into the bathroom and goes, hey, once you get the blood stopped, come in my office. So I come in his office, and, and we sit down, and long story short, he says, look, you're going to get a four-day suspension. You're going to be suspended for four days. You know, you don't fight in school. There's zero tolerance for that. And so I get suspended for four days. Fast forward a year. A year goes by. Uh, my, my family, they, they had kind of this rule growing up that you had, to, you had to go to Bible college for one year. And so I was going to go to Bible college for a year, and I'd, I had... I'd filled out the paperwork and applied, and little did I know that when you apply for a college or a Bible college, they're going to look into your transcripts, they're going to look into, you know, your background, all of that sort of thing. And um, I didn't know that, but the principal comes up to me one day, the principal is a former Marine, he comes up to me and he goes, hey, puts his arm around me, Rob, you know that fight you got into last year? Yeah. He goes, I took that out of your file. I redacted that, right? So that would be an example in my life of, of where something has been redacted. But in Hebrews 9.27, it says, it's appointed for man once to die, and after that, the judgment. We're all going to die, and we're all going to be judged. So when we get to God, and we're standing before God, I was thinking about it like a ream of paper so if you have a massive ream of paper, you know those big rolls like, that just go on forever? And if it, was, if it was me, apart from Jesus, here's what it would look like. I've got my ream of paper, and Rob, you send here on this date, on this time, this is what you did, and it would just keep going. And my ream of paper would be huge, right? Massive. And I would be guilty. I would be guilty. I am guilty of those sins, of sinning against God. And so I would stand accused before God. And if I did not have anything to stand for me or to blot out, to redact my sins, I'm standing before God, I'm being judged, and I'm going to hell. That's what's happening. But what Peter is saying is your sins may be blotted out. So when you put your faith in Jesus, the miracle worker, the one who changes lives and hearts, you have this big ream of paper that's right here, and Jesus walks up, and with his blood, he redacts every single sin in your life. Every single sin is redacted through Jesus Christ, and that's the beauty of the gospel. And that's what Peter is saying to them, and he's saying, repent, believe, 
Put your trust in Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus, this miracle worker, the one that is God's son that you killed. Put your trust in him. And so that's to the unbeliever. So if you've never done that, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and your faith in Jesus, I would challenge you this morning, more than challenge you, you need to put your trust in Jesus. And as believers, we know the we know that we've had our sins forgiven and that is a huge deal in our lives, right? That changes everything. A thriving church is filled with repentant sinners. People who understand the evidence is stacked against them. Understand who God is and who Jesus is who have repented and are saved. They've had their sins redacted. Their lives are changed. And so that moves them because of what God has done in their lives. That moves them toward good works. That moves them toward wanting to please God. And so when they sin against God, they realize that they offend God and they want to confess that sin to God. And 1 John 1.9 says, Believer, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all, all unrighteousness. It's a clearing of the conscience before God. So whichever category you're in this morning, church person, that wants to see a thriving church, if you've never repented of your sins ever and put your faith in Jesus, start there. And if you have and you're walking with Jesus and you're feeling the weight of your sin because you're just, you've, you've maybe you've, you've turned away from God and you're, you're stuck in sin, turn back. Confess your sin to God. Repent. Turn the other way. A thriving church is full of repentant sinners. It's full of sinners who are repentant. And then times of refreshment come. So times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. So he's talking to the, the people of Israel and he's telling them to repent that times of refreshment may come. You know, that Israel could be completely changed by repentance and faith in Jesus. And if you think about times in history when nations are walking with the Lord, Ray Steedman points out, after a spiritual awakening through the Wesleys, England was saved from the disaster of revolution which the French had just gone through. The country was turned around And although there were still many problems, England experienced joy and contentment. The Protestant Reformation in Germany under Martin Luther was also such a time. And this book that was written in 1974 that I was getting this quote from was during a time of what they called the Jesus Revolution in the United States of America. And that's at a national level. Think about the individual level. So when you put your trust in Jesus, your faith in Jesus, and you repent of your sins and you turn to Jesus, isn't that refreshing? Those of you that have done that, isn't that refreshing? Woo! You're redacted. That weight of your sin is gone. Because Jesus took that. He paid for it. So how about you this morning, church? We all deserve the interrogation and the judgment that follows. But the good news is, it can be redacted. So have you repented of your sins? 
Believers, are you repenting of your sins? Are you praising God for his work in your life? Do we get excited about the right things? It's a miracle. It's, if, if somebody was, went from lame to up jumping around in front of us, we would probably be going nuts right now, right? We would be going nuts if we saw that. What about when a six-year-old kid puts their trust in Jesus and repents of their sin and wants to walk with Jesus for the rest of their life? Do we go nuts over that? We should. That's a miracle. He took a dead heart and he made it alive. Are you experiencing the refreshment that only comes through Jesus? So write down this morning, how are you going to apply Acts 3, 12 through 20? Let's pray. God, thank you, for, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've used it in my life, how you've taken this dead heart and you've made it alive. Because you have redacted my sin, God. God, I want to live for you, and I know there's people in this thriving church that want to live for you too. I just pray that they would take the steps that they know they need to take in their hearts and their lives. I pray for the person here this morning that's not a believer, that, that is maybe hearing this for the first time or has never put their faith in you, that they would repent this morning and put their faith and their trust in you, God. We love you. We love what you've done for us, God. We want to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand once more, shall we?